There are two readings this evening. Uh, The first is from Exodus chapter 20, uh, starting at verse 4. And the second is from Isaiah 46, starting at verse 1. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And now Isaiah 46, verses 1 to 4. Bel bows down, Nebo stoops low. Their idols are borne by beasts of burden. The images that are carried about are burdensome, a burden for the weary. They stoop and bow down together, unable to rescue the burden. They themselves go off into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain of the house of Israel, you you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth. Even to your old age and grey hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you have just spoken to us. Uh, And we pray now, uh, as I seek to proclaim your word, that you would continue to speak, continue to speak to our hearts, and that you would lift our eyes up to see you in your glory. Amen. Uh, There's a, a TV show, an American TV show from the 60s, that Mandy and I love to watch called The Andy Griffith Show. And uh, the star of the show is um, Andy Griffith, and he plays a sheriff uh, in small-town America. And and he's always solving all the problems. He's always uh, rescuing people. And the person he rescues most is his hapless deputy sheriff, Barney Fife, who's always itching to be bigger than just the small-town deputy sheriff. Well, in, in one episode... Uh, A couple of criminals have been brought in. They're on their way up to the state prison. So these are big-time criminals. And uh, and Barney decides to just lay down the rules for them. So they've been put in the cells, and he's strutting up and down. And he says, gentlemen, here at the rock, there are two rules. The first rule is, obey all rules. And the second rule is, don't ride on the walls, because it's really hard to clean off. Well, last week, Paul reminded us that the first commandment lays the foundation for the other nine. But as we come to the second commandment this evening, you might be thinking, is this really the second most important thing that God can tell people? You know, not, not to make little statues and stuff of animals. I mean, it sounds a little bit like writing on the walls. I mean, you, you do it as a child, and you have to be told not to then. But hopefully, you know, once you've grown up, you, you kind of get over that kind of thing. You know, as humans, yes, maybe, you know, many years ago, people used to do that kind of bowing down to statue stuff. But, but we've grown up. We're, we're enlightened now. We don't need to know this. 
Why does God place idolatry so high up on the list? Why are idols a problem? Why are they a problem for us? And what is the solution? Why are idols a problem? Well, there's two reasons. They're subtle and they're complicated. Idols are subtle. If you look at verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You see, idols are subtle because they are customized. Did you see that? You shall not make for yourself. See, we shape idols to fit with our lives, to fit in our culture, to fit even in the church. We, we fit them to us so that they, they feel comfortable. And, and then actually, they become very difficult to find because they just naturally spring up in our lives. They just, they help. They, they offer us security. And eventually, it can get to the stage where if someone challenges us on something, we could just say, well, you know, that, that's just who I am. We, we've shaped the idols to ourselves, and they fit in our lives, and so they're very difficult to discover. But the second reason that idols are subtle is because they're good things. Uh, you should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters below. It's language that kind of echoes Genesis 1, isn't it? That everything that God created, it was either, you know, birds in the heaven, animals on the earth, and humans and, you know, fish in the sea. And that, that's what God created. He created good things. But God did not make idols. You see, money is not an idol. Work is not an idol. Family is not an idol. Education is not an idol. God didn't make those things as idols. They're good things. But when we take those things and we make them God to us, we say to them, look, you play the role of God in my life, then they become idols. So they're subtle because, because they're good. We look at something and, well, you know, what's wrong with that? It's a good thing that God has created. What's wrong with family? It's a good thing. And yet it can become an idol. When we look to these good things for value or for our purpose in life or for all our satisfaction or for our meaning, they become idols to us. Idols are subtle. And that is one reason they're a problem. But they're also complicated. Look again at verses 4 and 5. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. So we we make idols, but then we bow down to them. We, We create them. We want to be like God. We want to do what God did. You know, he created things. And so we make idols. We want to be like God. But then... But then we really don't want to be like God. And so we bow down to them and worship them. You see, we want the power of being like God, but without the responsibility that comes with it. Really, it's the same lie 
that came up in Genesis 3, isn't it? You know, you could be like God. And your eyes will be opened. And you'll know everything. They turned and they ate the fruit. Their eyes were opened. And they saw that they were naked. And the same lie comes to us. If only you fill in the blank, everything will be okay. If only you get the right job, if only you put your children in the right school, if only you go to the right church, if only you live in the right house, whatever it is, if only X, everything will be wonderful. It's an idol. Because it promises us the power to be God. You can be in control of your life. But it takes away the responsibility. You know, we can just blame it. Well, if everything goes wrong, uh, you know, the school, the school failed us. You know, the church let me down. The, the money ran out. The job got, I, you know, it's not my fault. We want the power, but we don't want the responsibility. So idols are complicated. And they're subtle. And that means they're very difficult to find. They're very difficult to find. But why are they a problem for us? You know, I mean, idols, yeah, okay, idols are subtle and complicated, but those are outside, aren't they? How does this affect us? Well, there's three particular problems that we have. And the first problem is, is that we love them. We love idols. Look at verse 5. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. but showing love to those who love me. You see, the option is you can either love God or you hate God. There is no kind of middle ground. And if we love idols, we hate God. If we love God, we hate idols. That, that is the only two options open to us. And that is the problem is because idols, idols capture our hearts. You know, they're good things. They're things that, that do promise a lot. You can do a lot with money. It can be great to have a wonderful family. You can do great things in the right job. You can make a huge difference in the world. Good things. But slowly they can can just capture our hearts and get a hold there almost without our knowing. My wife Mandy's given me permission to share this. Um, She loves home. She loves home and family. Uh, She's from the States. And God called her to come to England, and so she left her home and her family. And that's been really hard for her. Those are good things, but as we've talked, we've realized there's a danger that for her those can become idols. And so the question, if only we had, you know, a stable home, if only we had family close by, if, if only then everything would be okay. You know, we love, we love our good things. 
the danger is that they become idols and we love them. Well, what's the solution to our loving idols? Well, it's in verse 5, and it's in the character of God. I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. That is our hope, strangely. Our hope is that God will not let our hearts stay with idols. He loves us too much. He will not share his love with idols. He is a jealous God, and he wants our hearts. And so he will pursue us. When we go off after our idols, when we run off, he will pursue us, and he will win our hearts. That is his desire, and that is his passionate pursuit. He will win our hearts. But God's jealousy is a two-edged sword. You see, we, when we love our idols, uh, as Paul said last week, it's like spiritual adultery. It's unfaithfulness towards God. And so we have this problem because adultery deserves death, and yet God's love for us is so great that he wants to be reconciled to us. Well, if we're put to death, then he can't be reconciled. But if we're reconciled, what happens to God's justice? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. The sin of the fathers, our sin, is punished in the Son. That is our hope, that God's immense love for us has provided an escape from the love of idols. What's the second problem for us when it comes to idolatry? It's back in verse 4. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You see, idols, as well as capturing our hearts, they turn us inwards. They make us self-centered. You shall not make for yourself. You see, it's for us. We turn in on ourselves. I realized this a couple of weeks ago. Mandy and I were, were talking, and I realized that all my prayers had essentially been focused around uh, me and us. I mean, that, that was essentially it. And I suddenly realized that, that I just turned that into an idol. I turned, I turned Mandy into an idol. You know, if, if she was happy, then, then my life would be, you know, everything would be wonderful. Um, if, if my prayers were answered, then everything would be wonderful. Idols, idols turn us in on ourselves, and they make us self-centered. What are you praying for? And is it showing up idols in your life? Well, again, what's the, the solution to self-centeredness? If you just turn back over the page to, to verse 2. Again, our solution, our hope, is in the character of God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You see, God is a God who comes to us. When we become self-centered and turn in on ourselves, 
God moves outward and he comes to us and he rescues us. Uh, in Jeremiah 2, which is an incredible chapter on the problem of idolatry, uh, God says this about his, himself. He says, I am the fountain of living waters and my people have made for themselves broken systems that hold no water. You see, God is a fountain of living water. He flows outwards. He flows outwards in love. He flows outwards in salvation. He comes to us because we've become self-centered and we can't get out of ourselves. And he comes to us to get us out of ourselves, to get us away from our idols, to rescue us. We can get away from idolatry if we look outwards to the God who comes to us. Well, the third problem for us in idolatry, and, and ultimately this is, this is the, the end result of idolatry, if we, if we just hang on to them, if we keep on clinging to our idols, this is what will happen. And it is that we will get crushed by them. In verse 5, it says, You shall not bow down to them or worship them. In other translations, it says, You shall not bow down to them or serve them. It's the same word. But then it's also the same word that is in verse 2 when it describes Egypt as the house of slavery. Slavery is the end result of idolatry. You know, they begin, idols begin by making us promises. You know, if, if you work hard, everything will be fine. But then those promises become expectations. You know, you, you're not doing great. You really should be working harder. You know, if you really want this to happen, you should be working harder. But then those expectations become demands. You must work harder. If you're going to have a good life, you must work harder. And then those demands become threats. Unless you work harder, everything is going to fall apart. And you see, idols come to us and they say, look, just, 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 take, me, just take me on your shoulders you know, and I will give you everything you want. And they just get heavier and heavier and heavier until they crush us. Idols promise us the world and then they drop it on our shoulders. What is our hope Isaiah 46, listen to me, O house of Jacob, all you who remain in the house of Israel, you whom I have upheld since you were conceived and have carried since your birth, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, I am he who will sustain you, I have made you and I will carry you, I will sustain you and I will rescue you. You see, God compares himself to idols and he says, idols, idols are so weak, they have to be carried around and then they crush the people who are carrying them. I, God, am so strong that I will stoop and I will carry you. I will lift you up. And he takes the weight of those idols off our shoulders. He takes the world off our shoulders. And he takes it on his shoulders and he's crushed. And as what Jesus Christ did at the cross, 
He took the weight of all the idols and was crushed so that we could be lifted up. Idols are so subtle and complicated that we cannot find them on our own. And they capture our hearts and they blind us and they enslave us. So that eventually we have neither the desire nor the will nor the ability to do anything about it. Idolatry is such a problem that it is the second most important thing God can tell us. And yet, we can do nothing about it. But Paul writes this. But because of his great love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. That is the hope. Whatever it is that is distracting you, whatever it is that has caught your heart that is not God, whatever it is that is that is placing higher and heavier burdens on you every single day that is not God. Whatever those things are, God can rescue you. God can capture your heart. And God, God gives. He he carries. He gives life. All the promises that God makes, he fulfills. That is our hope. That is our hope. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we thank you that, that you stoop to lift us up. That your greatness is shown in your humiliation on the cross. And we pray that in the light of all that you have done, that you would come and and take idols off our shoulders, that you would carry these burdens that you do not want us to carry, that you would relieve us of them and enable us to live in the glorious freedom that your Son offers. Amen.